0: adults would be stumbling over those so well done guys well uh, let's uh, pray and then we're going to have a look at this passage uh, together to see what God would say to us through it this morning our gracious God we want to thank you particularly for this time together we especially want to thank you for all of the people here uh, in this church today and all of our regular members who cannot be with us We especially give you thanks for our children. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which uh, you are working in their lives. We especially thank you for all of their kids' own teachers and leaders who are doing such an awesome job in nurturing these kids. We pray now as we open up your word together that we might have hearts and ears ready to hear what you would say to us uh, from your word. We know that you are the only God, the one true God, and that your word is truth. So help us to receive it like that today, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we are. We're, uh, we come this morning to the last in our series in Philippians, in the, uh, the, Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, right there at the end of chapter 4. And uh, have you enjoyed this series? By the way, folks, have you been here? You've been here for, for uh, throughout the the, uh, the whole series. I trusted God has actually really encouraged you and blessed you uh, through this. Today we're going to be focusing on just the first uh, four verses, verses ten through to thirteen. If you wanted me to preach the whole, uh, the rest of the chapter today, have you got about three hours? No? Okay, well, we'll just focus on these, on these four verses. And the, uh, the title of my message today is A Contentment That Brings Joy. But before we start, I need some volunteers. So I need, actually, I need uh, four children uh, who are not allergic to dairy or, you know, they're, they're able to eat chocolates. All right? Okay, let me see. Let me have a bit of a look around here. All right. Caleb, would you like to come up? Yes, James. Where have we got? Have we got any down here? One there, right there. In, yep, that's, that's, that's right. Yep, Cheryl, you're holding up his hand. That's it, come on up. Up you come, Caleb. That's it. Four, I've got four. Awesome. Terrific. All right, now. I'm going to hide that one. <laughs> All right. Now, come and stand over here, guys, please. Come and stand over here. That's it. Spread out a bit so that people can see you well. All right. Can I just have that um, microphone again, please, Janine? Sorry. Sorry to be a pain. <coughs> Terrific. Thank you. All right. Just be easy to use this one. All right. How about you... Uh, w- welcome, Go. Oh, welcome. It's good to have you here. Would you like to... I- I've picked all boys, haven't I? <laughs> Oops. Girls, you'll need to come and see me after the service, okay? All right. Okay. Would you like to tell everyone what your name is, please? Caleb... Elo, James, Cullen. Alright, welcome them all. Yes, good to have you here. Now, I have got something very, very special for you today. Do you like chocolate? How much do you like chocolate? Uh... (laughs) You don't know. You you have no idea how much you like chocolate. Well, if I was to give you this, yes? Would you like to take that? Yeah, Yeah, you would? Oh, okay, oh, Good. (laughs) Awesome, so are you really happy with that chocolate? Yes. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest and 10 being the highest, how happy are you with that chocolate right now? Nine. A nine. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Alright. Mmm. Okay, Eli, would you like to receive this chocolate? How much do you like chocolate? A lot. You like chocolate a lot. So for you, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest and 10 being the highest, how happy are you now with that chocolate? 9. A 9 as well, yes? We haven't hit the 10 yet, have we? Alright, James. Would you, like, do you Do you like chocolate? You sure you like chocolate? How much do you like chocolate? Quite a bit. Quite a bit. Would you like to have this chocolate? And what about you? On a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you now with that chocolate? A nine. A nine. nine. Still Callan? Yeah. I seem to have run out of those little bars of chocolate. It didn't feel so good. Hey? It doesn't feel so good. Well Callan, mm-hmm. actually, I've got one bar left actually. Shh. Callan, would you like to, would you, how much do you like chocolate? <laughs> ten. A ten, yes? Well, it's plain chocolate. All right, now. So you're happy, to, you're happy with that chocolate? Yeah. Yes? Yep. Yeah? You don't want to swap it for any of these other chocolates? No. No? no what about you guys? How ha- now, on a scale of one to ten, how happy are you now with that chocolate? Two. <laughs> two. One. one. Three. A three. A two, okay. a one, and a three. So you guys, you're not quite as happy. Just a minute ago, you were all nines. But now you're right down the lower end of the scale because you prefer that one more than that. Is that right? Yes. But I guarantee all these other kids in the congregation here who haven't got anything, I reckon they'd take this one right now, wouldn't you guys? Would you just take that one? Yes? (laughs) Oh. All right. Would you think, my volunteers, you can take your chocolates? I'll tell you what. How about you go and share? Okay. All right? How about you go and share? All right. Thanks, Janine. (laughs) You know, what we've just seen really is a picture of of us in our lives today because we ourselves often lack contentment, don't we? We ourselves often lack contentment in life. Let me ask you this on a scale of 1 to 10. How content are you with your life right now? A 10. Awesome. I'm pleased to hear that. I want to uh, just put up a few, uh, a few things here that uh, might sort of perhaps just um, help sort of think, get us think a little bit more uh, specifically about our lives. And I put these things up here and, by, and I, I recognise that some of these are going to be perhaps a little bit more relevant to, to you than others. Some of them may even be perhaps a little bit painful to actually hear and receive. But, uh, it's, uh, but I think that, uh, that God wants to challenge us this morning in, with this whole aspect of what it is to be content in our lives. I wonder if you ranked yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest and 10 being the highest, how content you would be with your body image, how content you might be today with your health, how content you would be with the house you live in. Or with the car you drive? Or with the job that you have? Or with your friendship circle? Or with your spouse? Or maybe the fact that you don't have a spouse? With your children? Or maybe the fact that you don't have children? What about with your, the amount of money that you have or don't have? In your wallet or bank accounts, and the last one, what about your church or your church family? Awesome, eleven. I love to hear that, Brie. Thank you. You know, the fact is that many of us, if not all of us, some way or another, are discontent in our lives. It's not easy to be content, is it? And yet true contentment sorry i'll go back one there we go true contentment is inextricably linked to the levels of joy that we experience in our lives if only we could discover the secret of true contentment wouldn't that be something to learn wouldn't that be something to really have you know in our passage this morning we learn of one man who's discovered this secret and his name is the apostle paul and so as we take a look at his example this morning we're going to learn hopefully ourselves to discover the joy of contentment in our own lives. And the first thing that we need to learn this morning as we open up our passage, if you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to to Philippians chapter 4. The first thing we need to learn this morning is this, is that contentment doesn't just happen. It is something that needs to be learned. We see that in verses 11 and 12 of our passage today. Paul writes, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned... In whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger of abundance and need. I love, actually, the way that the Living Bible actually translates this. It says this. It says, For I have learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or have little. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether it be with a full stomach or hunger, with plenty or want. Wonderful thing that the Apostle Paul has learned here. Is it a lesson that you would like to learn today? Is it a lesson, do you think, that we all need to learn in our lives today? Yeah, we do, don't we? Very much so. Well, the secret this morning uh, is shared with us in this passage. I want to share with you four things, hopefully, that will help us to discover how to learn to be more content in our lives and, therefore, to find a real deep joy in our lives as well. So we're going to go through four points. If you've got your sermon notes, too, that you might have picked up from the foyer. By the way, the words in red are the answers, okay? I'll, I'll put them in red for you so they're really easy to, uh, to follow along. All right, so the first point we need to know this morning is that contentment is learned by recognizing that God is in control of every circumstance we find ourselves in and that He is good in every way. We see that in verse 10 of our passage. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. It's interesting here that uh, we need to remind ourselves afresh of Paul's circumstances. Remember, where is Paul? Where is he currently as he writes this letter? Do we remember? He's in prison, isn't he? He's in prison. Prison's not a very nice place to be in. In fact, Paul we know is is, is not only in prison, but he is chained twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, to a Roman guard. He has no freedom whatsoever. And he's awaiting trial before Caesar there in Rome in the first century. And there's every likelihood that this trial may result in him being executed. So Paul's circumstances are not something that we wouldn't consider to be particularly good today. In fact, we might say that Paul's circumstances and Paul's life at that stage really stinks. Yeah? Yes. But yet throughout this letter, we see Paul frequently saying that he is able to rejoice. In fact, that he's experiencing great joy. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, greatly, exceedingly. My joy is overflowing. And of course, the reason for Paul's rejoicing has nothing to do with his circumstances that he's in, but it has everything to do with his God. It has everything to do with his God. The Puritan writer, this is a fellow writing back in the, uh, in the 1500s, uh, Jeremiah Burroughs, defined contentment like this. Sorry, the 1600s, I should say, but not make him as, uh, older than what he already is. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, that gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. You get that? Christian contentment is that sweet, inward quiet, that gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition or situation. Another uh, definition adds this it says, Contentment is that inner sense of rest or peace that comes from being right with God and knowing that he is in control of all that happens to us. See, Paul can see here that God is very much in control of his circumstances. Paul is able to say, along with the psalmist in Psalm 31, verses 14 to 15, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God, and my times are in your hands. You know, friends, as bad as things may get in our lives, as disappointed as you may be with circumstances and situations that you find yourself in, we should never question the truth that God is in control and that God is good. Amen? God is in control and that he is indeed good. Isn't it interesting to know that the very first sin in the Bible the sin that actually brought about the downfall of man that ruined man's perfect relationship with God and with his fellow man that uh, that uh, that downfall that brought about the ruin and the chaos in creation that we see today was first of all birthed in discontentment in discontentment and in doubting God's goodness you can read about that in Genesis 3 So when we begin to look in other places for that which only God can provide us, and we often do, we often look for the things which will satisfy, the things that will bring us that contentment, enjoyment, and all these different things. But ultimately, the Bible tells us that 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 true peace, true contentment, true joy, true life can only be found in a relationship with the living God. And when we begin to look in these other places for that which only God can provide, that we are the ones who end up in strife and in sadness. And so we need to heed the words of Proverbs 19 23, where it says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Of course, the, the writer of Proverbs there is saying that this, we're not saying that we won't experience trouble. Because we all experience trouble in our lives, but what it's really saying there is that trouble, when it comes, will not have the same kind of impact and devastating effect on us if our fear and our trust and our hope is in, is in, is in, the, in, in the Lord. Point two, contentment is learned through having realistic expectations of others. Paul writes here that he rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that now at length you, speaking of the Philippian believers, have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. See, Paul is expressing his gratitude for the gift that these believers in Philippi had sent to him through this fellow Epaphroditus. If you go a bit further on in the chapter, in verses 18 and 19, it says this, "'For I have received full payment,' And more, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. These gifts were a fragrant offering. In fact, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing not only to Paul, but more so to God. These people had sought to bless Paul. But you know, it had been ten years... There had been a 10 year gap since the, since the last time the church, the Christians in Philippi, had given Paul assistance. 10 years. And now Paul tells us these Christians had showed a renewed concern for him and his welfare. By the way, that term renewed carries with it the image of a, of a flower or a shrub or a tree blossoming again in the spring after being dormant in the winter. It's a beautiful picture. And what Paul is saying here is that the, the concern of the Philippian Christians is all of a sudden again coming to, you know, blooming and blossoming out in, uh, in a wonderful act of love towards Paul in giving him these gifts. You now, for whatever reason, these Philippian believers had not had the opportunity to bless Paul up until now, although Paul knows that they had not forgotten him. Think about that, 10 years Now, if you'd not heard from someone for 10 years, what would you think? You'd think that they'd forgotten all about you, wouldn't you? Yep, you're thinking, what kinds of friends are these people to forget about me all this time? But yet Paul had a confidence in knowing that their concern was still there. But yet they just hadn't had the right opportunity. And it just wasn't in God's sovereign plan at that time for the Philippians to be able to provide Paul with this gift. You know, it's so easy to get angry and disappointed with others, isn't it? When they don't act how we would like them to. I'm sure that Paul would have liked these fellow believers, these Christians in Philippi, to be a bit more regular in their support. Anyone who's been out on the mission field and uh, has been very much reliant on the support of those at home and it doesn't come, I'm sure that they themselves would, uh, would certainly uh, say that. But yet, instead of getting angry and bitter, Paul is instead just grateful for them and for their gift that has come at this time. You think, well, gee, how is Paul able to do that? How is Paul able to sort of put aside that that 10 year of there's been nothing to be able to say, Lord, guys, I still love you. I still know that your concern was there for me. How was Paul able to do it? It's because of what he's already learned in in point one of our message this morning, that God is indeed sovereignly in control. And Paul doesn't have to try and manipulate people. He doesn't need to try to manipulate them through guilt or emotional blackmail, but instead he entrusts himself to the fact that God will provide what he needs when he needs it. In fact, later on in the passage, he says to the Philippians, and it's true about himself, he said, my God will supply every need of yours. Every need of yours. And of course, we need to, to learn to discern between what is a need and what is a want, don't we? What is a need and what is a want, there's a big difference. One person I came across this week states this. He says, some of us are way too tough on other people. We expect them to meet our needs. And when they don't do everything we expect, we get upset and we become discontent. I wonder this morning, are you irritated with others because they haven't met your expectations? They haven't been able to pander to your needs the way that you would like them to? Are you bitter towards someone because they've let you down? Perhaps God is saying to us this morning that we need to take perhaps our eyes off others and our dependence upon them and rather get them back onto God. Contentment is learned through having realistic expectations of others. Point three, contentment is learned by finding satisfaction in every and any circumstance, whether good or bad. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need... For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Contentment is learned through finding satisfaction in every and every circumstance, whether good or bad. You know, folks, God wants to use... All kinds of situations in our lives to strengthen our faith and our trust in him. Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Even when he's there in jail, Paul is able to be content. If you're in Paul's shoes today, in there in prison, chained to a Roman guard, not knowing what your future holds, could you be content? God takes us into difficult situations at many times in our lives because it's at those times that God actually wants to strengthen our faith and our trust in him. And so those difficult times are we can see as a blessing from God as we, as we know that he is lovingly watching over us and trying to build up those spirit, that spiritual muscle of faith within us. Paul has experienced all kinds of hardships in his life. If you go to uh, 2 Corinthians 11, he gives a whole list of, uh, of, of these uh, hardships that he's endured for the sake of the gospel. Paul's also had plenty as well, and Paul has enjoyed you know, great times in his life. And he said, it doesn't matter whether I've got lots or whether I've got little, God has taught me through all these situations to continue to trust in him. And as I've trusted in God, I have learned that contentment and the joy that comes with it. I want to give you just a few pointers this morning as to how we can find satisfaction in every and every circumstance, whether good or bad. I've got four sub points here under uh, under point three. And the first is this. We need to stop comparing ourselves with others. We need to stop comparing ourselves with others. We had our little uh, illustration here right at the beginning when we started comparing the little bar of chocolate to the big bar of chocolate. With the little bar, before the big bar even came out, everyone was happy and content, rated right a nine. But as soon as someone had something bigger and better, it went down to a one, a two, a a three. My uh, elder's daughter went to school with a, uh, with a young girl in grade 12. Her name was uh, Carly, and Carly had cystic fibrosis. Uh, she died in year 12. But one of her uh, um, mottos of her life was this, comparison robs us of joy. Comparison robs us of joy. It's true, isn't it? whenever we start looking around and comparing what we have to what others may have, and particularly if they have more than us, then all of a sudden our joy is eroded away. When instead, if we were just thankful for what we have. See, what we look at, folks, and focus on impacts us greatly. Matthew 6, Jesus says, "'The eye, that which we see with, is the lamp, "'is the light of, of the body.'" So if your eye is healthy, if it's focusing on good and proper and and healthy things, righteous things, then our whole body will in fact be full of light. See, what Jesus is saying here is the eyes, our eyes are the entrance to our hearts and to our minds, and as such, they provide a doorway even to our very souls. And our eyes can be used to see that which is good and that which is evil that which is beneficial and that which is harmful. And the things we see and perceive affect our whole being. That which we, are, which we focus on, that which we give our attention to, will have ultimately an incredible effect on our whole being. Stop comparing ourselves with others. Second point follows on from that. Be thankful for what we have. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, whether good or bad, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, when we find ourselves in those places where we're feeling pretty down and pretty miserable, if we actually force ourselves to start giving thanks, to start focusing and giving thanks for even just the smallest things in our lives... It's amazing how quickly our attitude changes, how quickly our behaviour changes, isn't it? Yes? Be thankful for what we have. Third point is remember that life is not about the accumulation of things. Luke 12, 15 says, "'Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness.'" That is wanting what other people have. "'For one's life does not consist "'in the abundance of possessions.'" Folks, we need to learn to be rich. In the things of God, it's interesting that after Jesus actually says says these words, "Take care and be on your guard," he actually then gives the parable of the rich fool. You know, the man—he was a man who was incredibly rich. He had this this amazing uh, property. You can think about it in terms of, in Australian terms. He had this huge, big cattle property kind of thing, where he had lots of cattle and lots of grain. He grew lots of wheat and all that sort of stuff. And he said, "You know, I've got way too much for my barns. I'll have to knock all my barns down and 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 build much much bigger ones to get all this stuff of mine." In into it. And so he does. He knocks him down. He brings all his stuff in and he's gathering all this stuff to himself. And then, then what happens next? He dies. He dies. What good is his bigger barns and all that stuff then to him? And Jesus says, so it will be to those who are not rich towards God. We need to learn to instead not be rich ourselves, but to be rich in the things of God. First Timothy 6 17 to 19 says as for the rich in this present age by the way folks that's you and me we are the rich in this world you might not consider yourself rich but compared to the vast majority of people in this world we are incredibly rich in fact probably in the top five percent of riches richest people in our world today as for the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on god who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, like I encourage the kids with their chocolate today, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Isn't it true that there is often greater joy that comes through blessing others than rather getting stuff for ourselves? Have you ever done that? Have you ever sort of just given liberally to to, to another person and and known that sense of, gee, that felt good to bless others? Yeah. Remember that life's not about the accumulation of things or stuff. Lastly, we need to focus... uh, There was the, the Bible verse there from 2 Corinthians 4. Focus on what will last forever. And finally... Focus on what oh, I missed the point, didn't I? Go back. There we go. All right. Can you bring that slide up for me, please, guys? Second Corinthians four, seventeen to eighteen says, Focus on that which will last forever. For this light momentary affliction, by the way, this is our lives. Our lives are often seen as, you know, very difficult in our world today. We have all kinds of challenges, all kinds of hardships. But the writer of 2 Corinthians, again, the Apostle Paul says this, For this light, momentary affliction, as we we go through this world, as we suffer with these things, but as we continually have our focus on God, it prepares us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We need to have our focus on that which is of utmost significance and importance. That which is eternal. That which will actually outlast the things of this world. This week, uh, the soccer club is uh, mourning the death of one of the, uh, a nineteen year old boy from from the, from uh, the invo- uh, he's one of the players in our soccer club, in the senior teams, 19 years of age. I'm sure he felt, thought he had the whole world at his feet. He had his whole life ahead of him. Folks, we, none of us know when our life will, will, will end, when it will be cut short. None of us do. And so it's important that we have our focus on things that will have eternal significance and eternal consequence. Rather than the stuff of the here and now. This stuff is, is just like sand through our fingers, isn't it? The stuff in our world is like sand through our fingers. And yet we try and grasp it with all our might. And yet God says, it's foolish. It's foolish. Keep our focus on that which is eternal. You know, as Paul remained under arrest, chained to that soldier, Paul was looking to and finding his joy in the things that really mattered. That is his relationship, first and foremost, with Jesus. To know that as as he's put his confidence and his hope and trust in Jesus as he's repented of his sins and turned to follow God in his ways, he's got that assurance of knowing that he has peace with God, that God is his father and that his, his security is very much bound up in, in his God. Not only was he confident, not only was he focused on his relationship with Christ, he was also focused on proclaiming the message of salvation in Jesus and seeing people come to faith. That's what brought, joy, what brought Paul joy. There's a book out, or has been out for a long, long time now, that uh, encourages, particularly in Christian circles, it says, your best life now. Your best life now. Well, in a way, that's, that's true, because if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, life with Christ is better than anything. Life with Jesus is better than anything in this world. But can I tell you that Jesus doesn't promise us our best best life now. Our best life is still to come. Amen? Amen. Yes. It's still to come as we look to him. Our last point this morning is this. Contentment is learned through finding our strength in Christ. Verse 13 says this. I can do all things through him or through Christ who strengthens me. I think this has got to be one of the most quoted verses in the Bible and maybe one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible as well. I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes this scripture is used almost as kind of like a bit of a magical formula to say that we can do whatever we want to do. But this verse is not promoting a positive mental attitude nor is it promoting a selfish name-it-and-claim-it theology. But in this context, and we need to understand the context which Paul is writing these words, in this context the meaning is this. Paul is saying, I can, and by the way, you as, as followers of Christ can as well, can learn to be content in whatever circumstances because... Not of the stuff that's within us, but because of the strengthening work of Christ in our lives through his Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, I can endure all that happens on the outside because I am strengthened by Christ and my relationship with him on the inside. Jesus says something similar in John 15, verse 5 in the negative sense. He says, For apart from me, you can do nothing. Folks, can I say that there is no trouble, there is no problem, there is no difficulty that cannot be overcome by the sustaining power of Christ in our lives? Do you believe that today? Do you believe that? See, Paul's life was far from easy. But he was able to find this joy and contentment in the midst of all of the trials that he found himself in because of his trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And you might be saying to yourself right now this. You might be saying, well, you know what, Duncan, that's really easy for you to say. It's really easy for you to get up there and preach. But you don't know my circumstances. And it's true. In many cases, I don't know your circumstances. But I know someone who does, and that's God. He knows your circumstances. He knows where you find yourself today. He knows the things that you're struggling with, the things that you're battling with, the discouragement, the the, the disappointment, the disillusionment, the strains, the struggles. God knows. He knows everything about you. He knows even the, hair, the number of hairs on our heads. God knows. And God's word says to us today through the Apostle Paul, these words, that in every and every circumstance, we can learn to be content. But only as we look to Christ and as Jesus does that strengthening work in us and through us. if you truly put your hope and trust in Jesus that is if you seek to turn from your own selfish and sinful ways and follow him. if you seek not only to do that but if you seek to, 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 to trust him, if you continue to look to him in in the, with the strength that he gives you, he will not fail you. I ask, I, I, in fact, I challenge you today to put Jesus to the test. If you truly seek to walk in his ways, as, as, as is given to us in the word of God, as we seek to walk in his ways, as we seek to turn away from our own selfishness, our own self, uh, self-focused lives as we look to him, God says that he will indeed strengthen us so that we will be able to, to endure and find contentment in all of life. Let me leave you with these words, hopefully words of encouragement this morning from Isaiah 40, verse 28 to 31. The prophet writes, and these words are true today as they were back in the day that they were written. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord, he is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait... For the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Do you find yourself today growing faint and growing weary? Do you find yourself today as the one who has No might left. God says that as we wait upon the Lord, as we look to Jesus, as we trust in him, as we seek to walk in his ways, it says that we indeed will renew our strength. He will strengthen us and we will mount up with wings like eagles and we shall no longer run and be weary. We shall no longer walk and be faint let us pray lord this morning seems a bit ironic for me to be up here preaching about contentment when i myself struggle so much with it and yet lord we thank you for these words of encouragement today the reminder that comes to us that says that we can indeed learn to find that contentment. It is not something that is this wishful thinking that is out there but just, just, it just remains continually out of our grasp, out of our reach. But instead, you promised that as we look to Jesus, as we look to him, Lord, as we trust in you, as we remember that you are the sovereign God over all things. Lord, as we remember that, that we are to, that we're reminded not to put our hope in others, but in you. Lord, as we're reminded today, not only that, but we are to, to remember to, to keep looking to that which is of most importance in our lives. Lord, the Lord Jesus. He's the most important. I pray that every one of us will go from this room today with that confidence in our hearts that there is no one like Jesus. And as we put our hope and our trust in you, that we will find that we can indeed do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen.